Good morning. Hey, happy Easter. My favorite weekend of the whole year. It's awesome. I love it. Um, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're a guest, you don't know who I am. I'll introduce myself. My name is Eric Montoya, Pastor of the Grove, and it's an honor to have you guys here with us today. Um, I, if you have kids, they're having a blast. They're going to have a lot of fun, some great activities planned for them. Um, we're just glad you came and were part of a service with us today. If you're a guest, we want to say welcome for, for coming. Thanks for taking some time. And uh, for all you that brought your guests, thanks for bringing and, and, and coming together to, to the service. I want to say welcome to all those uh, tuning in online, listening, or, or tuning in later in the week. Thanks for, for tuning in today. Um, it, it's awesome. I love Easter. We're going we're gonna to be talking a little about what Easter is all about, a part of that, and uh, really a, a challenge uh, to us to, to make a, the right choice, to make the best choice that we could possibly make at the end of service. And so may, there might, might be somebody that came today, and maybe uh, this is your first time to church. Maybe it's been a long time. Uh, I'm so, so glad that you chose this day to come, and uh, I'm going to try my best to, to be able to engage and, and help you to see that, that God has something for your life. Um, at the end of the service, we're going to give an opportunity for those uh, that want to make this declaration. Because what you saw today, us singing, uh, that's just about some people who are a little crazy because we've experienced God's grace and God's love. And it's our way of expressing and starting off the week by saying, God, you're God and we're not. And we want to give you our lives. We want to serve you. We want, we want, we want you to lead in this life. And so we start our services off. I start our week off by, by singing these, these, these anthems, these songs uh, that from our heart are saying, God, you're a good God. And we celebrate and remember all the things you've done. And that's why we start a week off, by just inviting God to be first. Um, and so that's why we sing these songs. If you ever wonder, like, I wonder why, why do Christians do that? And why do they raise their hands? And why do they clap, get all excited about uh, music and songs? It's really our hearts just saying, God, you've done something. And we want, we want to celebrate. God, we want to express it out. Uh, we we, uh, we want to surrender. We want to give you all that we have. And so we're, uh, we, we love, we just love that we can do this, uh, that we are a free country that's able to do this and, and have this freedom. Um, but if, if you are new to the church and, and you um, will we'll be done right, right after 11 o'clock, and so we'll get you out. Great thing about being done at 11 o'clock is we get to beat all the people to the restaurants, right? Who's with me? Yes, we're celebrating that, right? No lines. Yeah, I, I love that. So we enter, we'll end early and we'll have a, a time to get, get over there. Um, I'm going to read a portion of scripture, and uh, Paul is, is writing this to the church of Corinth, and uh, he's talking about, uh, really he says it's the good news. He sets it up by, by saying it's the good news that, uh, that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. And, and he, he keeps going on to say it's something that's been passed on to him. And this is what he says the good news is. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, the good news is this, that Christ died for our sins. Let's just stop there for a second. All right, so we just celebrated Good Friday. That was on Friday night, or Friday night as we celebrated. Uh, we had a great turnout with the Cross of the Martyrs. All you that came, thanks for coming. Uh, we had communion, sang some songs. It was great. I uh, just have a, a turnout. We had twice as many people this week, this, this last Friday, than we did the year before. And so that was just a great turnout. So thanks for coming. But Friday was where we celebrate the, 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 the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. And some people will be saying, why would you celebrate uh, the death of a person? Because uh, on Friday, we call it Good Friday, uh, but that first Good Friday really wasn't good. The disciples, that was the worst day that you could ever plan for them. Uh, because they thought this was their, their Savior, their Messiah, their King. And so they thought, like, he was going to come and set up his kingdom, become king, and kick out all the Romans, and they were going to be free from all that. And he dies. And they're like, oh, our hopes are smashed. Like, what is going on here? And so he dies. Well, Good Friday, it comes on the heels of something else that we find in the Old Testament. So Good Friday is on a Friday, uh, but, but the day, the, that week leading up is what they call the Passover week. And every, every um, Jewish person would celebrate the Passover week. And Jesus happens to, to be prepared in that week and dies on that, that very week. Um, and what it, what it was is the Passover, and you've probably seen this, right? Charlton Heston on the big screen, right, or on the TVs every year. About this time, they start showing, you know, Moses leading the people from Israel. Well, the story is that the people of Israel were, were in slavery. They were in bondage. They were slaves to Egypt for years. 
So they, the people of Israel spent about 415 years or so in Egypt. Majority of those years, they were actually slaves. Um, and then God sends Moses, who's a, who's a rescuer, a savior, and uh, he comes and says, God says, I'm going to use you to rescue the people of Israel. And so he says, he does all these miracles, and, and uh, Pharaoh doesn't want to release them, and so he, he keeps them, keeps them. And after so many miracles, finally, finally he, Pharaoh has enough and says, all right, be gone. Well, the one that was the tipping point was God says, oh, fine, if you don't want to let my people go, um, there's going to be a death angel that passes through the, through the, through the city, and uh, all those people that will take an unblemished male lamb, um, a, a whole lamb, a, a good healthy lamb, and sacrifice it and get the blood of that lamb and paint it on the doorpost. Uh, when the angel comes by, it'll see the blood and it'll pass by. And so they call this the Passover, right? So the, the death angel passes by the houses that have this blood on the, on the doorpost. Um, and what it is, it's, it's a mark that, that these people are trusting God with their lives. And those that don't, the death angel goes in and it kills the firstborn of every Egyptian or every person that didn't put their trust in what God said and didn't, didn't follow through. And it was the Passover. And so what it, what it is is Jesus, when he's preparing the Passover lamb, all the prophecies are leading up to Jesus dying on this cross. And what it is is, is, is a sacrifice that was needed to be done. One, so that we would say, you know, this is, this is God's plan for our lives. We, we receive that. But the other part is it's called atonement. Uh, it's, a, it's a substitution that God did for our, on our behalf. Because he, he said sin leads to death, and so I'm going to give you a way out of that. And so for the Passover, the, the day that Jesus dies would be the day that they'd sacrifice these lambs. And uh, that, that they would be doing it. So he was, John the Baptist says that here's, here's the Son of God, the, the, uh, here's the Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. He points it out. He was saying Jesus is being prepared for this. And, and the, the people of Israel, they didn't get it. They, they missed it because they were expecting a different kind of Messiah. They're expecting the, the second coming of Jesus where he's going to come back as, as ruler. And so in the middle of this, this holy week of Passover, Jesus dies on Good Friday, um, which, which didn't seem like a Good Friday. And then, because it was Friday evening is when Sabbath starts, nobody can, and the Jewish people couldn't do anything, so they couldn't go bury him, they couldn't do anything for that. So he, for all of Saturday, uh, they didn't know what was happening. They just knew he was, he was, he was dead and he was in a tomb. And so, uh, so Sabbath passes, Sunday passes, uh, Saturday passes, Sunday morning comes, sun rises, and a couple of women go to the tomb, because they knew where he was buried, and they go and they find that the tomb is empty. And not just that, but there's an angel saying, who are you looking for? Jesus is no longer here, he's, he's alive. And so when Paul is saying Christ died for our sins, what he's saying is this whole Old Testament, it's pointing towards Jesus. So we have this book that God gives us, an amazing book. It's not just a book. It's a, it's a book of books, and a whole bunch of different authors wrote it to, to talk about God, uh, which is incredible in itself, over thousands of years written, pointing the same story, the same message, saying there's a Savior coming, there's a Messiah coming. And the same way Moses led the people of Israel out of, out of slavery of, of Egypt, Jesus came as a different kind of Moses, a different Savior, to lead people away from sin, uh, slavery to sin. And we have freedom. And so he's saying, here's the good news, that Christ died. So we celebrate on Friday his death because it means that he went in our place and said, all right, there's, there's a payment that has to be done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it on their behalf. I'm going to do it for them. And he gives his life. And it says, just as scriptures said it would happen. So he begins to say, like, there's all these prophecies, all these things pointing to Jesus dying on the cross. He was buried. Uh, and he was raised from the dead. So he, he went to the grave. He was dead. Um, Romans did. I read a, an article. I was in a doctor's office a few years ago. I happened to get one of the Time magazines. And it had these, these research that these doctors did about, did Jesus really die? Uh, if you go, go Google it, you'll find that. So these are just doctors, not, not Christian doctors, just, just doctors. And, and they, they came to the, to the consensus that because of the, the way the things happened, the whole story unfolded, the way the spear went in, that blood and water flew, flow, flew out of him after, after he was stabbed, it was actually the heart, more of like a broken heart is what actually really killed him at the end. Um, it, it was over. It was done. 
And, um, and so they go through this whole, whole thing. But he's saying he was, he was dead. Um, the, 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 the Romans who do this, as, they're professionals at killing people in horrible ways. They said he's dead. Um, and so Paul is saying he was buried, but, but he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said would happen also. So get that. Over and over he keeps saying the scriptures said this was going to happen, and it happened just the way. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. So then Paul, uh, Paul begins to point out people, right? Peter was there. The disciples saw him. They, they were like, who is this? He came back to life. I'm like, man, it's, it's like the, the best April Fool's joke of all time, right? Today's April Fool's like, man, I did not expect this, and he's back to life. And then Paul continues on and says this. After that, he was seen by more than five other, other of his other followers at one time. 500 people saw him at one time. And he goes on and says this, most of them who are still alive. So the time of his, this writing, he was actually saying some of these people are actually still alive. What was that, what's that about? That's actually a fact check. He's saying, hey, if you don't trust me, just go talk to them. Go ask them. Some of them Christ followers, some not. Just people around. They, they witnessed this. He appeared to a lot of people that he was alive. And he says some of them have died, but there's some that are still alive at the point when he's writing this. Uh, then he, he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So he points out Peter, one of the leaders of the church, um, and he points out the, 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 the disciples. And then he says, and by James, and later by the apostles. Here's an interesting fact about this. He's pointing out James because James was the brother of Jesus. And James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Like, he's like, he's crazy. Like, I grew up with that guy. That's my brother. I don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And what did it take for James to believe in, in Jesus as the Messiah? His resurrection. Like, he was dead. And now he's alive. Okay, maybe he was telling the truth. He's not crazy. And James actually became one of the leaders of the church because he went from not believing to being the one who says, I'm so committed to this that I'll actually give my life even in the worst of ways. And he did. He was martyred for his faith. So how, he went from not believing to believing. And this is the good news that Paul is saying. You see, this, this is what's happening. But he doesn't stop there. He says, so, so you see, just as the death came into the world through one man, now the re- resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So he makes this, this contrast between two people, right? So he says, um, death came into the world from, through one man. He's talking about Adam, and he actually points it out and says to Adam. But then life came through another man, and this was Christ, this was Jesus. So one man brought death, one man brought life. So to understand what Paul's talking about, we have to actually go back and, talk, and say, what exactly is he talking about here where, where Adam brought death into the world? What does that mean? Well, all the way back at Genesis, Genesis 1, um, God creates, creates everything. He creates man and woman. Uh, Genesis 2, he begins to, to talk about um, um, the plans that God has for man and woman. He, he says that he, he made... In, in the garden, there was all these trees, fruit trees they can eat from. They can help themselves. But in the center, there was these two trees. One was a tree of life, and one was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so out of these two trees, he said, you can eat of any of these trees, just not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So have your, help, your, help yourself. All this tree is good. It's a forest of, of, good, of good fruit, of good, good things to eat, but just not that one. Reserve that for me. That is mine. Don't, don't touch that tree. Uh, don't, don't eat the fruit. Don't touch the tree. He said, don't eat of the fruit. Or you will die. And so he tells, he tells Adam this. And Adam and Eve, chapter 3, three uh, Satan comes, disguises a snake and, and a serpent, and begins to, to deceive Eve and trick her into eating the fruit. And Eve, it says, Eve made the choice to eat the fruit, and then she gave it to her husband who was with her. Uh, so the whole time I'm, I'm thinking, like, why didn't Adam, like, step up and say, hey, I, we shouldn't do that. I think we should actually check with God because I think this might be a really bad idea, a really bad decision. Um, but they didn't. They said that they looked at it that looks like it's good to eat. And, and here's the thing. Satan actually even appealed to something good in Eve. He said, you'll become like God. 
Like, there's something good that will happen here. Like, you're going to become like God. It's a godliness that he's trying to draw out of her, saying it's not necessarily bad. He's trying to say it's not a bad thing. But the thing is, God said, you will die if you eat of this fruit. And what did she do? She took the fruit. She ate it. She gave it to her husband. He ate it. And the first thing that happens to them is their eyes are opened, right? Because now they know good and evil. And they all of a sudden realize, like, oh, we chose the evil. We chose bad. And up to this point, nothing in Genesis was evil, except the way he says the tree of good and evil. That was the only mention of anything that was evil. Everything was good. And they chose the one thing that God says, don't. It won't be good for you. It won't won't lead to anything good. And they chose it. Here's the thing I think that we love about God the most. Right? I don't know if you acknowledge this, but I would say this is the one, the one thing that, that we, we would appreciate that God has done is he's given us free will, or we could say the freedom of choice. Right? He's given you the freedom of choice. But it's also the same thing that makes a lot of people doubt God and angry at God because they say, well, if God is so good, why does he let this happen and this happen? Well, it's because of free choice, free will, the freedom to choose. Because somebody makes a choice, and then there's a chain reaction of those choices they made. And he told Adam, when you eat this fruit, you will die. They, Satan tried to trick them and says, you're not going to really die, like instantly. But it was going to be a spiritual death. It was going to be a, a, a death to marriage. It was going to be a death to families. It was going to be a death to relationships. Death, a physical, their body began to decay and die because they disobeyed. He said, yeah, there's these two trees that you can choose from, but again, the freedom of choice. So some people say, well, why did all these bad things happen? Well, God gives us the freedom. And sometimes people make really dumb choices and they choose the wrong tree. They choose to do their own thing rather than doing the right thing. It's a choice. It's the freedom of choice that God gives us. Um, every decision we make, it's, it's, it, they lead to something. Um, and, and like God says, it's either going to lead to life or it's going to lead to death. You choose. And throughout the Bible, over and over, God keeps saying this option. You have the choice of blessings. You have the choice of curses. You have the choice to, to live or you have the choice to die. It's up to you, but the choice is still yours. I'm not going to force you. I love this about God. He doesn't force us. He lets us choose. Because love always lets people choose. If, if you didn't choose, it wasn't really freedom. If you can't make your choices, it's not really freedom. Um, I don't know about you. Anybody, anybody made some really, maybe a decision you can think back on and think, think like, man, that was the dumbest decision I ever made. I wish I wouldn't have done that, right? No appling anybody right next to you. Just I, I remember that. I remember maybe a really good decision. You're like, I remember this one time I made that decision. That was like the best decision of my life. It like changed everything, right? Like maybe as you're marrying your spouse, husbands, right? Like, yeah, like, it's a good decision. Or maybe not. All right, I'm trying to help you out, guys. Like, yes, I raised my hand. That was awesome. You missed it. All right. We make these decisions, these choices. Well, have you ever had an idea to maybe uh, get a lawn chair and uh, get like 42 uh, weather balloons and fill them with helium? Anybody had this idea? And then get on your lawn chair. Yeah, you can be like, I've had an idea. It'd be awesome. Get your get the lawn chair and you know get some beer and get your pallet gun and uh, go on a ride. No? You never had that idea? Well, I haven't either, but there was a man who did in 1982, and I'm going to show you a video of it. There's only one balloon trip like the one Larry Walters of North Hollywood took. Here's David Burrington. Larry Walters had always dreamed of flying a balloon to a faraway place. So with help from a friend who taped these scenes, he rigged 42 weather balloons to a lawn chair and filled them with helium. Walters hoped to fly across the mountains to the Mojave Desert, staying in touch with a CB radio. Suddenly, a cable broke, and up he went with one emotion. Fulfillment. I was on my way. The first casualty, his glasses. They slipped overboard, leading to this radio transmission with his girlfriend. Over. 
altitudes, 1,500 feet. See Marine Land right now. Hey, you can see Marine Land. They're heading toward, oh my God, they're going toward the ocean already. The balloon reached 16,000 feet, spotted by two astonished airline pilots. But the craft wasn't moving, so after nearly two hours, Walter shot out some balloons with a BB gun and came down fast over Long Beach, the only time he was frightened. I saw were roof tops and power lines. And I thought to myself, my, my God, this is it. You know, please God, you know, don't let me get fried. Today, Walter said he has no intention of going ballooning again. Oh, I thought that was so... <laughs> Maybe you have one of those ideas, right? Maybe your idea is not as bad as that, but you've had those ideas that just led to no good. A lot of fines and a lot of issues, and he was hoping to get a lot of fame out of this, and I don't think he got the notoriety he really wanted, except a lot of people laughing. Um, I love it. What's worse than losing your glasses on the, on, the, on, the, on the chair going up in the air is that you're another person yelling on the phone at you, right? Like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> he's not scared until the phone call, and it's like, oh, my God, what's happening? I thought it was funny. Um, one of our team members teased, like, man, he, he was probably, you know, didn't think much about God going up, but she sure thought about God a lot when he was up there. Like, he even said, oh, my God, don't let me get fried. Like, don't let me die. As he began to shoot the balloons with the BB gun. Yeah. Like, oh. Anyways, and the, the airliners, you can imagine what they were thinking. Like, what in the world? Um, control center, you're not going to believe what I just saw, right? No, really, you're not. I, let's take a bet because you will not ever guess what I just saw. Yeah, a man in a lawn chair with, like, 42 balloons. <clears throat> so we make decisions. And here's the thing about decisions is we make our choices, and then our choices end up making us, right? So this man made a choice, and that choice, he had to live with it for a long time until he was able to come down. Some of our choices don't have that long of, uh, of, of, of lifespan. Some do. Some choices, like putting your shoes on in the morning, like what shoes you're going to wear, that's a day choice. Or it could be an hour choice. You could change your mind, right? What clothes to wear, those don't really matter. Uh, but things like your spouse or, or things like um, what you allow your, your body, how, how, you, how you allow things in your body, doesn't have effects into the future, right? What you do with your, with your life. Because the choice, we make that choice and then it, it makes us. Uh, and, and here's the thing, the choice that we make, they actually create more of those choices in our lives. So if it's a positive choice, uh, like, uh, like God was saying, eat of the tree of, of life, you continue to have life. But if it's a negative thing, like God is saying, don't eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, or you'll have death. And you begin to eat of that, and you have those choices lead to death and more death. And then it produces more death around others. Or you choose life, and it produces more life around those in your, in your family or your closest to you. So your choices, they, they do it. So God says, take and eat of any fruit you want. Just don't take and eat of that one. Leave that for me. Don't, don't do that. Um, and, and here's the thing. When you, when you look at the tree of, of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the two choices, you can always tell what tree you're eating from by, by what, what your life is producing. What exactly is being produced in that choice? So... The choice to yell at my spouse that didn't have the positive effect that that was going to have, right? Or the choice to, to spend quality time with, with a loved one or something like that, it produces something good. The, the choice to be generous, it produces more generosity. The choice to be aggressive and angry produces more anger and hostility, right? The choices we make, they, and you can always tell. So Adam and Eve made this decision like, okay, we're going to ignore God's advice and his, his commands to not eat, and we're going to go ahead and do our th- own thing anyways. And, and death was produced from that. And it produced more of that. And here's the thing we know is that you, one of the ways you could tell is because uh, one of the things that follows the bad choice is, is usually shame. We have to hide from somebody or something when we made that decision. Especially those closest to us that love us. We don't want them to find out. Why? Because we know we've done something wrong. And in the story, 
Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, and then they hide. It says they, they, they hid from God, and God's like, why are you hiding? Well, we're naked. Well, who told you you're naked? Did you eat of the tree? And then they go on this blame game. And, and he's like, Adam, did you eat of the tree I told you? Like, well, God, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman you gave me. Which essentially he's saying, God, it's your fault, right? Like, like we ate of it, but it's not my fault. It's her fault. And, and he's blaming God in the, in the point. And then Eve says, but God, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. He deceived me and tricked me. And then Satan, I'm sure, is like, I got nothing, right? I guess it was all me. And then he's like, check, I won. Because that was the whole point and the purpose of the first point is to, to reduce that, to, to, to gain control, to get authority, um, to cause death to enter into the story, into, the, into people's lives. Because he was so angry that we had authority over the earth, that God loved us even though we were lower than the angels, that he had he loved, compassion and love for us. And so they hid. So you can tell by the, by the fruit you're eating because of what it's producing in your life. It's not very hard to look around and see, okay, those things that I'm doing, those are, that's a good, that's producing good things. I continue doing that. But those things over there, and I see that those are affecting me. See, 1 Corinthians, Paul, he goes on and says this. You see, just as death came into the world through one man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So he's saying, Jesus' obedience actually replaces the disobedience of Adam and Eve. God, his part of the story is saying, all right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to model for you and give you a way to live your life. This is the purpose of Jesus' saying. I want to show you that I can do it. So I gave you the, the, the command, the words, but you didn't get it. All right, the words weren't strong enough. The, the, the scriptures weren't enough. So I'm actually going to make those words come to life in a person called Jesus. And he's going to live it out for you so you can actually see the example of what I'm talking about. And Jesus begins to live it out. And so because of his obedience, it actually replaces and it, and it get, does, does away with the, this, this, uh, this brokenness that we have with God. And it fixes it that we can call on him and say, all right, I acknowledge that I've sinned. The opposite of what Adam and Eve did. They didn't, they didn't confess and they didn't admit to it. But God is saying, that's what it takes. You have to actually own your part of it and say, all right, I need your help. I need you to do something in my life. And so disobedience leads to death, but obedience leads to life. And God is saying, would you choose life, not death? Would you choose, choose blessings, not curses? He's saying, don't be slaves any longer to sin. Don't let those decisions get, get there. Because here's the thing, God, because of the resurrection, when Jesus did on the, on the cross and in the grave on Sunday morning that we celebrate, it gives us the power to close the gap of the life that we currently have and to, to have the life that we've always wanted. It closes that gap. So is there a disconnect in your life where you, you, you're thinking like, man, I'm, I'm here, but I really want to be way over there, financially or in a relationship or in whatever it is. Like, you're, you're here, but there's this big gap between where you really want to be. Well, well GSP, his resurrection, there's power there that actually closes that gap because we can begin to trust God. And he leads us on this journey where we actually begin to see the life that he had planned for us if we'll just trust him. And, and I think sometimes it's the gap that is the most confusing. Because I think we, a lot of times people choose, like, all right, I really don't like what's going on here, but that is so far away. And as we get into this gap, we're thinking, this is just taking forever. And then what makes it worse is if, if your gap is actually a cycle where you're stuck in it. Like, you can't get out of it. Maybe, maybe it's an addiction um, that, that you can't get over. And you keep telling yourself, I just never get over this. I, I don't have enough strength to do it. And here's the thing is, one of the truth, we're all addicted to something. All of us. There is some form of addiction. Because an addiction is something that we just can't give up. It's something we can't stop. Um, and then what makes it worse is in our body, there's this chemical called dopamine that, that is released in our, in our brain every time we do something that is, feels good. Um, like, for example, a dopamine, when, when somebody drinks alcohol, it's released. It gives a chemical reaction that you feel really good. Um, nicotine does this effect. Gambling. If you're gambling, you, you have this effect. Um, cell phones. 
have this same effect. You don't believe me? So somebody who wakes up in the morning and the first desire they have is alcohol, we'd say they might struggle with alcoholism, right? So what do you call somebody that the first thing they do wake up is pull out this little phone, put the screen on, and be like, hmm, what's going on today, right? Or they walk through their house carrying their phone everywhere they go. Or you're driving down the road and your phone bings, ding, and that release in your brain's like, ooh, I'm important. I'm good. I got to see what this is, even though we know that's not very safe to drive and text, right? And then millennials will say, well, yeah, we grew up with this stuff. We're really good at it. And that's why they're causing all the accidents while texting, right? We're not that good at it. It's just, it makes us more distracted. But we're all, there's this, 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 we get stuck in things and these patterns, these cycles because of chemicals in the brain, because of desires we have. In the middle of that, God is saying, I want to close this gap if you'll just surrender that part to me. In fact, um, Paul says like this in Romans. He says, do you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. He's pointing back to this whole dilemma, this whole Bible. Who are you going to be? What tree are you going to eat from? Are you going to eat from the tree of life, or are you going to choose your own way? What are you going to do with your life, your daily decisions? It's a moment-by-moment decision. What are you going to do with this? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Get this. Uh, and, and so, for, for, you, for those of you in this room that said, I put my trust in, in God, like I've accepted his sacrifice, I've, I've given my life, I'm following him, this is what he's, he's talking to you. Um, if you're not at that point yet, this wouldn't necessarily apply to you because you're still stuck in that, that, that period of life where you haven't c- committed. And there's maybe, maybe addictions, maybe um, you're, you're stuck in his patterns of, of just choosing your own way all the time. And God is saying, if you will let go of that life and go to me, you'll begin to see that you'll have power over those things. That your old sinful selves that were crucified, that, that, that sin will lose its power. Because when, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. So Paul is giving this, uh, this example of the people of Israel leaving Egypt, right? Um, in, in, in this chapter, he's talking about baptism. And he's saying when the people of Israel, they left that land of slavery and they went into a land of freedom, a free people. And God gave them, began to give his commandments so they could stay free. If you just trust him and follow him, they would have freedom. And many of them actually got frustrated with God because they didn't want God's way, they wanted their way. And so they would actually rebel and they wanted to go back to the land because they kept thinking that was better. And Paul is saying, no, no, you have to leave that land that we're so used to. That's what we're comfortable with because it's, it's, it's comfortable because it's known. But going to this land, it's kind of like, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. And so people actually make the decision to go back. And Paul's saying he's, the power of, of, of the cross actually frees us that so we don't have to be slaves any longer. He says we are sure of this because Christ, because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Don't let your sin control the way you live. Do not give in. To sinful desires, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve, to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to doing what is right for the glory of God. He said, keep choosing the, the, the right tree. Sin will no longer master you. You'll no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you'll live under the freedom of God's grace. Paul is saying, would you choose freedom? Don't repeat what Adam and Eve did. Choose freedom. Choose freedom. And the way you do that is you do the opposite of what they did. Instead of saying yes to every urge and everything that feels good and everything you want, 
you actually pause and say, hmm, how is this choice going to affect tomorrow? How is this gonna, choice going to affect my relationships? How is this choice going to affect my future? And most important, how is this choice going to affect my eternity? What's it going to do here? How is it going to do this? The man that went up on the balloon, I'm pretty sure he wasn't thinking all that far down the road. He was just thinking, this is going to be fun. Let's go get it. Until he was up there and he realized, like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of consequences that come with this. And potential consequences that could come with it. Paul's saying, choose the freedom of God's grace. Don't you realize you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey, he says. And then in, in Romans 8, just a couple chapters later, he begins to give us this pattern. Um, some of the disciples, like Peter, he loves, he loves giving lists, like do this and then this and this. If you're that kind of person, read, read through First, Second Peter. He's giving you a list of how you can follow God's example step by step. And Paul is also giving this idea. He's saying um, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Spirit. So let, um, let your sinful nature control your – if you let your sinful nature control your mind, it leads to death. But if you let the Spirit of God lead you, it will lead to peace and to life. Uh, go to the next one for me. If you're controlled uh, by your sinful nature, and then he goes and says this, remember, <clears throat> those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So he's saying you, you have to make this choice for yourselves. And he ends it by saying this, that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give, give life to your moral bodies by that same Spirit within you. So he's saying you have to make this choice. Would you, would you make this choice? You know, maybe you're stuck in this, in this gap. You know, um, I don't know if you ever had a song stuck in your head you just hate. You're like, I can't get this song out of my head. That's kind of like the gap sometimes. You choose this pattern, this cycle of life, and you're stuck in it. Um, one of the songs that used to get stuck in my head when I was young was, This is the song that never ends, and it goes on and on, my friends. Somebody started singing it, not knowing what it was, and they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that never You guys heard the song? Nobody? No? Some young people, like, they're high school, like, I never heard that ever. You're crazy. All right, so when I was a kid, for growing up, like, there was a, some English uh, show, and they had this song, and it would get stuck in your head, and there's a chorus that just goes over and over, and actually, you could keep singing it forever, because it never ends. And it's called The Song Never Ends. And when you get stuck in these songs, maybe your song of life is an addiction, maybe it's a bad, bad, bad um, choices of relationships, whatever it is, and you get stuck in this, you're thinking, like, how do I get out of this song? Well, typically, the way you get a song out of your head is you have to get a different song, and you have to play it a little louder. Right? So if this song's always going, you have to get a different song that's a little louder that gets in you. I think that's what Paul's trying to do in, in Romans. He's writing this. He's saying those that think about these things, they stay in this pattern of always producing death. But those who begin to sing a different song and hear God's song, they begin to say, God, I want your help. They actually begin to sing a different song in their life. And the more they sing this song and the louder it gets and that diminishes, the more life they have. And Paul is saying, you have the choice. Which song are you continuing to live your life according to? The song that never ends, or the song of freedom? The song that keeps you stuck, or the song that gives you peace? The song that changes, that, that, that brings death in your life, or the song that brings life? The choice is yours. So there's two trees. Every single day, you have a choice just like Adam and Eve. Two trees to choose from. In every decision you make, what are you going to choose? You can choose life, or you can choose to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. You can, you can just do your own thing. Or you can trust God and say, you know what? Would you lead me when I'm ready to have, know that stuff? Let me know that stuff. When I'm ready to get to that place, let me get to that place. And the Bible is about this, saying, would you just put your trust in me? And God is inviting us to say, I know the best, the best path for your life. If you let me lead you, you'll wake up one day and realize, how did I get on this mountaintop that's so awesome? But as long as you keep doing it, you might get there eventually. But you're going to go in circles. You're, you're going to wander. 
And you're not going to figure it out, but if you'll just trust me, put your trust in me. So we lost our freedom, and we lost life at one tree, but we regained it at another tree. And then God put an exclamation point when he came out of the grave and says, it's done. You have life now. The thing that you should fear the most, you no longer have to fear death itself. You don't have to worry about the end because it's not the end. What you thought was the end is actually only the beginning. And if you'll choose me, I'll lead you into life that's so much better. Just put your trust in me. So here's my challenge for us today. Would you choose freedom? Would you choose freedom? Would you choose to eat and live those choices that will produce life inside of your your relationships, inside of your life? It's a a daily, moment-by-moment decision. You have to choose it for yourself. And learn to pause before you have to make big decisions. Big purchases, big whatever. Just If it's going to affect you for a long period of time, pause. And then I would, I would say, start a new habit of saying, God, what would you want me to do in this situation? Help me to know what to do. And then get people around you that can help you. This is a small group that's so powerful because you get people around you that are going on the same journey saying, we want to help you on this journey. If you don't have a church, we'd love for you to be part of a church. We'll, we'll help you on this journey. But just choose, choose life. See, in Philippians... Three, Paul says it like this. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He says, I want to know him. You know, my wife, I know my wife. Some people might know of her, but I know her. That's what he's saying. I want to know God in a personal way that I just, I get it. And then I want to experience this. I want to walk this life with him, that that same power that raised him from the dead, I want that in my life. Which means, part of it is saying no to things, which is part of suffering with him and sharing his death, so that one way or another we'll experience the resurrection from the dead. So we're, we're, choosing, we're choosing the cross. We're saying, God, today I, I really want to do this, but I'm going to say no to it. And I invite you to lead me and guide me. Uh, today, if you're here, um, before we leave, I want to give you an opportunity to make the choice to say, today I want to choose, I want to choose the right tree. I want to choose, choose, make the choice that, that's going to bring life. And I want to say no to the things that lead to death. God, I want, I want life. And today, as you're here in this service and I'm talking about it, maybe, maybe you're... You, you haven't been in church for a long time or, or you're far from God. Maybe, like Adam and Eve, there's a little bit of shame. Like the things you've done, it's there. And here's the good thing about shame is it actually exposes something that's, that's wrong so you can fix it. And God is not pointing out to condemn. He's actually pointing out to convict to say, fix this. Because it's not the best that, you have, that I have for you. There's something better. And so if there's shame in your life, if there's guilt, those are indications that you've been choosing the wrong tree. And you just say, God, forgive me. And today I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It would be great. That on Easter Sunday, you would make the decision to say, God, I want resurrection power and resurrection in my life. That I would no longer say yes to death, but I'll start saying yes to life. Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads today as we wrap our service up? And I want to give an opportunity for those in this room that want to respond. You say, I've chosen death for too long. Today, I choose life. I said yes to all the things that I always want to have, but I realize they don't always lead to the best things. Today, I want to say, God, I want to choose your way and trust you in this. If that's you today, in a moment, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand. I'll pray a prayer with you in your seat. You're not going to come to the front. It'll just be a prayer right there in your seat where you're at. But if that's you and, and you sense this in your heart that you want to have this, right now, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me today. I say yes to life. I say yes to God. I say no to death. And I admit, I'm going to own up to my part of it. And like Adam and Eve, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to run to God. I'm going to say, God, I, I have shame. I have guilt. I have these things in my life. Awesome. A lot of hands have gone up. Anybody else? More into opportunity? To you? Awesome. So if you raise your hand, it's a simple prayer. It's acknowledging that we need God's help. Essentially, we're saying, God, forgive me of my sin, which Adam and Eve didn't do. He's saying, would you do that? Would you choose life by saying, man, I messed up. I want you. 
and inviting God into your life, saying, God, you be the Lord of my life. So if you pray that prayer, would you repeat this prayer with me? If you're a Christ follower today, would you pray with us so nobody's praying alone? Just say this with me. Say today, say, Father God, today I acknowledge that I messed up, that I've chosen death, and I want your forgiveness. Forgive me my sins and my choices that have brought that about. Thank you for the cross and what it means that I can be free, that I'm forgiven. So today, I invite you into my life. Come in. Transform me. Change me. Lead me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that prayed that prayer today?